Welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that it inspires you and gives you a fresh perspective. Enjoy the sermon. My name is Dave, and I am fired up to communicate God's Word with you this morning. I'm also grateful for our pastor. Can we make some noise for Pastor Mike? Come on, somebody. We have an incredible leader who doesn't try to control the move of God, but he's freely flowing with the Spirit of God so that hearts can be loved back to life and we can experience life change through Jesus every single week. I'm grateful for you, Pastor Mike, and it is really a joy to partner together in ministry. I honor you and I celebrate you, and we speak blessings over you as you communicate God's Word with leaders this week. As we begin uh, this morning, are you ready for the Word? Come on. Well, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37, whether that's in a physical Bible, your glow-in-the-dark Bible, or you follow along on the screens. We'll be in Genesis chapter 37, starting in verse 3. We read, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children, because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to the dream, he said. We were out in a field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundles stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that? He asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Today I'll be preaching a message entitled, Don't Miss Your Moment. How to Live the Dream. If you've spent any time with me, uh, you've probably heard me answer the question, how are you with uh, living the dream, baby? Let's go. Fired up. Out of my mind. And to which I've gotten, as you can imagine, all kinds of responses. That's good. Well, you don't hear that too often. And then my personal favorite, well, 
good for you. At least somebody's living the dream because I'm living the nightmare. According to a recent study released by Harvard, one out of every two young adults in America have admitted to feeling depressed or hopeless. They're having trouble with sleep. They find little pleasure in doing things. They have a poor appetite and have trouble concentrating. Needless to say, our culture is struggling to dream, much less actually live the dream. If the enemy can keep you from dreaming, he can keep you from flourishing. This is why Proverbs 13, 12 says that a dream fulfilled is a tree of life. There's something life-giving about dreaming with God and then partnering with God to actually see it fulfilled. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know if you find yourself living the dream, living the nightmare, or somewhere in between, but life is too short to not be enjoying it. And today, my goal is to help you start dreaming again by focusing on the greatest dreamer in the Bible and the three moments that shaped him to live the dream. Joseph is the favorite of 12 sons, and his brothers clearly weren't his biggest fans. Every time they saw him rocking that colorful coat, the enemy reminded them that they weren't enough. Not only was Joseph the favorite, but when Joseph was 17 years old, he had a dream that his family would one day bow down to him. And I'm not so sure that was the smartest thing to share with your haters. But nonetheless, he did. And as a result, his brothers criticized his dream in trying to discover and live out their own. This caused jealousy to sink deep into the soil of their heart, and it produced the fruit of hate. You see, the first thing the enemy will do is to try and kill your dream with jealousy. If, he, if it's not the jealousy of others for you, it's the jealousy that you have for others. Listen, just because your dream isn't visible doesn't mean it's not valuable. There's a tendency, in, especially in the church world, to assume that the dreams are, that are more seen are more significant. But God has a dream that is perfectly crafted for you. A dream that is geared towards your gifts and your talents and your abilities that's going to make your heart come to life. If you tried to live out somebody else's dream, you wouldn't like it too much. And so what I want to encourage you to do is stop comparing your dream and start chasing your dream. And that's where we pick up the story. Joseph sent by his father 35 miles up north. And as his 10 older brothers see him from a distance, they start shaking their head. 
if it's not bad enough that we're out here in the middle of nowhere taking care of these sheep, here comes our no good for nothing brother. Let's kill him. And then another brother's like, whoa, hold up, home slice. Take a chill pill, baby. Let's not like take him out. Like, how about we throw him into that empty cistern over there? Yeah, 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 the empty cistern. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's throw him in the empty cistern. That'll buy us some time. And that's what they did. And it says in, in chapter 42, verse 21, it shows us just how serious the situation is. Joseph comes from a distance, and he's not welcomed by his brothers with a fancy handshake, a knuckle bump, or a hug. His 10 older brothers jump him, rip off his coat, throw him into a pit. And in verse 21 of chapter 42, it says that Joseph was in anguish and was pleading for his life, but they wouldn't listen. And so as he's hanging out in the pit, his brothers decide to eat a meal. It's a lot of work to throw your brother into a pit. So they refuel. And as they're eating some food, they see some Ishmaelite traders coming down the road. They're like, ah, another brother says, hey, why don't we uh, sell them to those bad boys? We can make some money and get rid of our problem at the same time. To which they're like, yeah, 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 that's a, that's a stellar idea. And so for the equivalent of about 200 U.S. dollars, they sell their brother into slavery. That leads us to the first moment that shaped Joseph's life, the pit. Have you ever found yourself in a pit? Pit of betrayal? Pit of abandonment? The pit of rejection? The pit of neglect? And you just feel stuck. How will I ever get out of the pit? How could have I, how could I have gotten in the pit? I was just checking in on my brothers. I was just doing what my father asked. I don't deserve this. How will I ever live out my dream from the pit? Before long, faith fades and cynicism sinks in. And your pit prevents you from dreaming. And what was meant to prepare you is actually paralyzing you. If you find yourself in a pit this morning, you have two responses that you can have. Resentment or assessment. Resentment or assessment. Resentment will paralyze your dream, but assessment will prepare you for it. The scholastic assessment test, otherwise known as the SAT, is a $45 standardized test that helps colleges assess high schoolers' academic ability. It's a four-hour test. It's divided into two sections, math 
and reading, and it's followed by an essay with the goal of getting a perfect 1600 score. The likes of Mark Zuckerberg and Will Smith have achieved it. This guy, however, did not. <laughs> uh, before the, the days of week-long or summer-long intensives to prepare you for the SAT, um, I just kind of went in blind. And uh, being the perfectionist that I am, but yet still the great test taker that I thought I was, um, I was still a little nervous. And so as I walked in, I crushed the math section, but reading comprehension was never really my jam. And uh, let's just say the reading comprehension crushed me more than I crushed it. And as a result, they assessed my value or my ability as middle of the road. Assessment only comes in the form of someone's ability, but it also comes in the form of something's value. Property value here in North Carolina is at an all-time high. People are moving here from all over and offering seventy dollars to $100,000 more than asking price without even laying eyes on the property. Housing right now is definitely an appreciating asset. However, resentment is not. It's a quickly depreciating asset. Resentment will cost you a lot more than $45. Because it robs your ability to carry peace. And it causes you to devalue people. But when you get thrown in a pit, there's this tendency to bury negative emotions. We call that bound emotions. Burying emotions like anger, unforgiveness, worry, hopelessness, insecurity. Jealousy, doubt, fear, and confusion. They all, they all get stuffed in the pit. But what I want to encourage you with this morning, that it's actually in the pit that you're invited to assess what's in your heart. Instead of resent the person or the process of how you got in the pit. Resentment will make you miss your moment. But assessment will prepare you for it. And Joseph did just that. He chose forgiveness instead of bitterness. But Dave, his brothers wanted to kill him. And he actually thought it was going to happen. How in the world could you forgive that? It feels in this moment that his dreams are dying more than they're thriving. Maybe Joseph heard God wrong. He was doing the right thing, but bad things kept happening. And that's exactly when the Lord interjects. No bad thing ever happens to a believer. It might be hard. It might be challenging. It might be overwhelming. It might even be tragic, but it's never bad because God has promised that he works it all together for good. It is what you call it. If you call it bad, don't be surprised when you're disappointed. If you say, I'll never recover from that, then don't be surprised when you feel depressed. If you call it unfair, then don't be surprised when you feel like a victim. 
But if you call it a setup to love well, don't be surprised when you're living free and full. When you call it an opportunity to grow, don't be surprised when you get more influence. When you call it a stepping stone to my success, don't be surprised when you see God do miracles in your life than you could ever imagine it is what you call it. It is what you call it. David's moment didn't happen the way he expected. But don't miss your moment isn't about missing your miracle moments as much as it's not missing your miserable moments. How you respond to the miserable will determine how you step into your miracle. The next time we read about Joseph, he's a slave in Egypt, which happens to be the second moment that shaped Joseph's life, Potiphar's house. And it just so happened that Potiphar was the head of security for the king. Isn't it just like God to give Joseph access to a person of influence? Joseph most likely would have never met Potiphar had he not been sold into slavery. To which the enemy wanted him to think was a detriment, but God wanted him to see it as instrument to fulfilling the dream that was over his life. It's here that Joseph had one of two responses. Disappointment or management. Disappointment or management. When I was 18 years old, God gave me a dream of loving hearts back to life in places that had never one time heard the name of Jesus. As a teenager who had a whole lot more passion for the dream than actual knowledge on how to make that happen, I expected that it wouldn't be long before I was hopping on an airplane and traveling the world, making a difference that could never be erased. But it didn't quite work that way. What do you do when your dream doesn't look like the picture on the box? When you start dreaming with God, he'll show you the picture. But then he'll hand you a piece. But God, um, what am I supposed to do with one piece? Manage it. You've already got what you need. But, but, but God, this is a 500-piece puzzle. You, 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 you just gave me a piece. It, it, it doesn't look like the picture on the box. I know. I, I just need you to manage it. But, but God, I, I don't see how this is all going to work out. Just manage it. But God, this isn't going to get me a whole lot of likes on social media. Manage it. 
Could you imagine Joseph taking a selfie in Potiphar's house and then captioning it, doing chores, hashtag slave life. I don't know about you, but I don't think that post is going to go viral, right? It's like, oh, sympathy post, (laughs) right? When the dream becomes about getting more likes than becoming like God, the dream gets stuck in neutral. And some of you are in neutral this morning. It just feels like you're not making any progress could be that you're been more concerned about getting likes than becoming like God and it's time to put it back in drive today when God showed me the picture of reaching unreached people groups he gave me the peace of leading a small group Manage it. And when I managed this piece, he gave me another piece of leading small group leaders. And then when I managed that piece, he gave me the piece of loving on inner city teenagers and children. And then when, he, when I managed that piece, he gave me the piece of learning how to stop for the one in need right in front of me. And when I managed that piece, he handed me the piece of being a husband and a father. And as I still continue to manage this piece, he started giving me the piece of reaching people in other countries that were reached. And then as I managed that piece, he gave me another piece of being a student pastor. And then after 10 years of handing me pieces, he finally opened the door for me to go to the very first time to a place that had never heard the name of Jesus. The point I'm trying to make is that for 10 years, I actively pursued the dream, but none of the pieces looked like the picture. How you handle this piece will prepare you to handle the next piece. And it was in Potiphar's house that Joseph was given another piece of the puzzle. And Joseph chose management instead of disappointment. So much so that Potiphar put him in charge of everything he had except for his wife. And it's here in Scripture that we're informed that Joseph was rocking some serious stud status. He was looking fly, so fresh, and so clean, clean. (laughs) And Potiphar's wife took notice. And she made regular attempts to sleep with them. How in the world could Joseph resist? A young man, raging hormones, being seduced by one of the prettiest women, if not the prettiest woman in Egypt. He didn't allow lust to have a seat at his table. Not only would he be sinning against God, but he knew that lust was an unnecessary weight for his race. 
I don't think his focus was on resisting. Oh, I just can't do that. Oh, you know, that's not what a good Jewish boy would do. I think his focus was on fulfilling. Because when you don't have a dream that you're pursuing, it's much easier to give into the things that are destructive. But when you wake up with purpose, when you're ready to take on the world, when you're ready to make a difference that can never be erased, it's a whole lot easier to push aside the things that are holding me back and holding me down because I'm trying to live the dream. You see, if the enemy can't kill your dream with jealousy, he'll try to ruin your dream with impurity. There's a reason that Potiphar's wife isn't named. Because Potiphar's wife is anything that will inhibit future expectations. Who or what in your life is inhibiting your future expectations? In Psalms chapter 1, we read, blessed fortunate, prosperous, and favored by God. You want the favor of God on your life? Here you go. It's the man or the woman who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked following their advice and example, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit down to rest in the seat of scoffers. You see, Potiphar's wife will inhibit future expectations by causing you to walk in intellectualism. I can figure this out. To stand in rationalism just this one time. And it'll get you to sit in criticism. I can't stand this. Why are more people living the dream? Because it's a whole lot easier to choose disappointment over management. But you never one time see Joseph try to overthink his obstacle, try to trivialize his temptation, or try to complain about his condition. And as a result, he was blessed. We, we see Joseph managing the miserable, which led to the third moment that shaped his life, prison. After repeated rejection, Potiphar's wife's frustration, it was, it was at an all-time high. And so with Joseph's new coat in hand, she tells her husband that his slave boy was trying to rape her. Enraged, Potiphar throws Joseph into Pharaoh's prison, which leads us to this question. Have you ever felt like you were pursuing God, but you still were punished? You've been trying to save yourself until marriage, but you're still single. You're doing work with excellence, but you still haven't got the promotion. You're honoring God with your finances, but your business still isn't seeing any significant growth. You're serving on a team here, but you still don't feel like you're making a difference. You stop, you're stepping outside of your comfort zones, but you aren't seeing any real traction. One of the most defining moments in Joseph's life was recognizing that his prison wasn't his punishment. It was his development. For it was in prison that he developed his gift 
of interpreting dreams. If the enemy can't kill your dreams with jealousy, if he can't ruin your dreams with impurity, he'll try to prevent your dreams with passivity. It's so inspiring to watch Joseph maintain his motivation in spite of not seeing the first evidence of the dream coming to pass. And as a result of correctly interpreting two dreams while he was in prison, a butler and a baker, two years of more prison after that, God opens the door for him to interpret the dream of the king. A dream that no one in the kingdom understood. A dream that he only could interpret because he chose development over punishment in prison. This caused the king to put Joseph second in command of Egypt. Why? Because Joseph chose management instead of disappointment in Potiphar's house. That gave him the insight to know how to store up food in the seven years of plenty so that they would have enough for the seven years of famine. But at any moment, if he had chose disappointment, he might not have ever been ready to oversee this massive project. He didn't have special training. He didn't have an education. He didn't have a bunch of initials in front of his name. He just didn't choose disappointment over management as a hashtag slave. And as a result, two years into the famine, the most unlikely of people show up, his 10 older brothers. Now the tables are turned. What is Joseph's response going to be? Anger, violence, revenge, retaliation, no, mercy. How? Because he chose assessment instead of resentment in the pit. He was able to save a nation from starvation. Because Joseph didn't miss his miserable moments, he was able to step into his miracle moment. If you want to experience the same thing this morning, it lies with an understanding the difference between moment and process. Moment and process. Life is comprised of about 5% moment and 95% process. But we often live for the moment instead of embracing the process. Why? But because from the time we are born, we're trained to live for the moment. For, for most of you, the moment that you were born was an amazing moment, and it was. You, full of passion and life and vigor, now entered the world with a significant purpose. You were made on purpose and for a purpose. 
as well it should be celebrated. But then soon it was not just the moment you were born, it was the moment you came home from the hospital. The moment you first rolled over, the moment you first said your first words, the moment you went to school, the moment you played your first sport, the moment you had your first crush, the moment you got your first job. And before you know it, we start making statements like, well, I I just can't wait till I graduate. And all the seniors in the house said, amen. And then you get to college and it's like, You're enjoying it, and then a few years, maybe even six months in, you're like, I can't wait to start my first career. (laughs) Yeah. And then you start your career, and you're like, well, I can't wait to retire from my career. And, and, And this might not be the story for everybody, but there's a point where you say, I can't wait to get married. Then you're like, I'm still loving marriage. (laughs) In Jesus' name. (laughs) But no, after marriage, it then becomes, I can't wait to have kids. And then I can't wait for these kids to grow up and move out. And then I can't wait for those kids to give me grandkids. And, And before you know it, you've wished your life away living for the moment. Because life is 5% moment, 95% process. Here's the thing about moments. They're momentary. And so when you live for the moment, you have momentary peace. You have momentary power. And you have momentary purpose. So then what are moments for? Momentum. Momentum for the process. Salvation is a transformative moment. But developing relationship with Jesus, it's an intentional process. Baptism. Wow, it's an amazing moment. We celebrate it really big and really bold here at Focus Church. But publicly declaring your faith, that's an intentional process. Freedom from a generational curse, oh man, that is a monumental moment. But passing down a generational blessing, that's an intentional process. Breaking off a lie that you believed about yourself, God, or other people. That's a liberating moment. But renewing your mind, oh, that's an intentional process. Receiving healing from a wound. Man, come on. That's a comforting moment. But actually becoming wholehearted, that's an intentional process. Receiving a miracle, it's an unforgettable moment. Many of you have experienced them on these altars. But actually developing a healthy lifestyle, that's an intentional process. Experiencing God's love more for every heart, King Jesus, is a moment. 
Releasing his love to the world is an intentional process. And if we aren't careful, we will celebrate the moment more than we embrace the process. Why does that matter? It's because the process is what prepares you for your next moment. You won't be ready to step into it. If Joseph didn't embrace the process of the pit, embrace the process of Potiphar's house, and embrace the process of prison, he never would have been able to step into his moment to save a nation from starvation. And that nation was not just Egypt. It was Israel, God's chosen people. So as we close this morning, let me illustrate by pulling out an ancient artifact called the disposable camera. Oh, yeah, you remember these bad boys, right? My grandma used to, like, keep this on her like her cell phone before the cell phone days. She always had a disposable camera in the bag. Before the days of taking pictures on smartphones and taking pictures on digital cameras, you had to snap pics with one of these bad boys. It's a whole lot harder to share on social media. As I picked this up this week from Target, I was with my 12-year-old son, and I asked him what this was, to which he correctly replied, a camera. I said, yeah, uh, how many, hey, Jake, how many uh, pictures can you take on this? He said, well, I mean, guess as many as you want, right? No, but it's, it's limited to 27. 27? That's all you get? Yeah. Um, well, what if you don't like it? Can't delete it. You're stuck with it. Once you take those 27 pictures, son, how do you get those pictures off? I don't know. You just print it off. Well, how do you do that? Well, you know, it's connected to Wi-Fi. Now, there, there's no Wi-Fi on, on this, son, but, but there is film. And, and when you want to get those pictures printed, you have to take this camera with the film to a photo center. Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, your choice. And when you get it there, they're going to take this film into the dark room to develop it. But they don't open the camera until it's in complete darkness. Because if the film is exposed to even the tiniest of lights, it would destroy the image that's been taken. And it's in this dark place. It's in this dark room that the film is hidden, unnoticed and unapplauded, and maybe even forgotten. That they take the film out of the camera and put it onto a reel 
And as they put it on the reel, they put it into a film tank. And then they mix a chemical mixture and put it in the film tank so that that chemical mixture can develop the pictures that have been taken. They call this an agitation process. The film is agitated. It's bothered. Why? So that every image can be fully developed. And then once that process is over, they empty the chemicals out of the reel. And then they put a new mixture in to stop the development. Again, it goes through an agitation process. And once the chemical mixture has been exposed to every print on the film, it then is emptied. And a third and final chemical mixture is put into the film tank to stabilize the film, which then prepares it to be exposed to the light so that it won't be damaged. Once that agitation process is completed, they take the film out, rinse it with cold water, hang it up with clothespins to dry, and then it is ready for the printing process to then which you can display it in an album or in a picture frame. To which my son said, Dad, why in the world did you tell me all of those details? <laughs> so that you won't live for the moment, but you will embrace the process because it's in the dark room that the picture is developed. It takes a moment to snap a picture. It takes a very long process to develop it. One moment to push the button. A very long process to get the finished result. The dream is given in a moment, but it's developed through a very long process. The process is dark, it's often unapplauded, and it's very time consuming. There's no shortcuts to the process, but it's in the dark room that God does his best work. You, you see, God used the dark room of the pit to assess the condition of Joseph's heart. He, he used the dark room of Potiphar's house to manage what he's been given, and he used the dark room of prison to develop his gifts. He received all of this at 17. He didn't get promoted to second in command till he was 30. A 13-year darkroom. And it, then it was another nine years before his brothers actually bowed down before him. 22 years between the conceiving of a dream and the birthing of it. 
Imagine how many times Joseph was tempted to give up, to throw in the towel. How many times he must have questioned. No one's ever going to bow down to a slave. No one's ever going to bow down to a prisoner. God, what's happening? You're still in the dark room. A lot, if you let me. I'm actually trying to develop my image in you so that I can display you before the world. Joseph didn't rush the process because, God, because Joseph knew that if God has assigned you, he will find you. But it doesn't come without agitation. Agitation comes from the enemy, but it's used by God to make sure that you are fully developed. But don't leave your dark room prematurely. Because if you are exposed to the light too soon, it'll destroy the image that's trying to be created. For if the light that is on you is brighter than the light that is in you, your character will keep you where your giftedness brought you. It's in the dark room. It's in the dark room. It's in the dark room. To the degree that you embrace your dark room will be to the degree that you will live the dream. Is there anybody here this morning who's ready to embrace their dark room? Is there anybody here this morning who's, who's ready to not just only live for the moment, but embrace their process? If you find yourself in a pit this morning, if you find yourself in a place that's trying to inhibit your future expectation of Potiphar's house, if you find yourself in what feels like a prison, you're in a really good space this morning because God's trying to develop something in you so that he can display you before the world. And I want to invite you this morning to get rid of the resentment to get rid of the disappointment and to get rid of the feeling of punishment and say, I'm open. Oh, I'm open. Yeah, I'm open. Yeah. Wherever you are this morning, if you want to create space in your chair, if you want to make your way to the altar, our ministry team is ready to pray over you release blessing over you and believe that today you're going to step into more of the dark room so that something can develop in you so that it can display you before the world. So don't waste any time. Come forward. Create some space. It's not a building. He's trying to fill this morning. It's your heart. And so would you assess the condition of your heart this morning? Would you manage the, the, the things that he's given you? Or is there some gift that he wants to develop in you? As the worship team begins to sing, make your way forward and encounter the love of God in a brand new way.
Thanks again for joining us. And thank you to those who give generously to make this ministry possible. You can click the link in our description to give now or visit www.givetofocus.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, and while you're at it, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at My Focus Church. We'd love to hear how God is speaking to you.